It's the Digigod. All right, Tim. Hey, hey. We are uh, we're trying a little bit, a little bit something new, and uh, a little bit of a new intro. Tim, actually, you this is your music, right? It is. I didn't know you were going to tell people that. <laughs> I could say, in another life, I was a musician. Yeah. Um, you know, in bad <laughs> punk bands and. Slightly better jazz bands, but yeah, really, no, a lot right. of really bad punk bands. Yeah. Email us at godsdigigods.com. Let us know if you love it or if uh, you want Tim to dig into his... Uh, Deep archives in every genre. Yeah. Uh, so Mark is on a plane right now, I think, as we yeah. speak, isn't he? Yeah. Or is he in the is, airport? He's, anyway. He, 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 it's one or the other, that's for yeah. sure. And, uh, you know, it's a weird thing. Dude, I, I, I like sitting in for Mark. <laughs> the notion of, of of you know replacing Mark that doesn't nah that doesn't really actually yeah. make any sense. So I'm gonna I'm gonna think of myself as a long term sitting in yeah. for Mark sort of situation. Well, it's it's that we're, we're, I tried to you know I'm, I I told him what I wanted him to do is to yeah. re- do little reports for yeah, us. Yeah, for sure. From Paris, you know, uh, with with the iPhone yep. there, just whip it out. You know, let us know about the culture, the movie culture, what's going on in Paris. Report back. And as long as you said uh, whip it out, that brings us to <laughs> our lead news story of the week. H.W., uh, H.W., um, Harvey, y- Harvey, Harvey. You know, uh, I think as I commented on my Facebook page, the uh, the Peninsula Hotel in uh, Beverly Hills is probably right about now burning every bathrobe in that place. Yeah, 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 because what are you going to – well, you, uh, you, you, you had a very interesting sit-down interview with Harvey. Years ago, some well, years. It wasn't a sit down. It was a phoner. A phoner. It was a phoner. A phoner yeah, interview years ago. years ago, and yeah. and of course, you know, um, uh, this thing that we call an open secret. Yeah. You know, in uh, in in what? You look. Um, this 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 uh, in, has been a really tough situation, not just for Harvey. Harvey has what he has coming. What he has coming. Yeah. Right. But for Hollywood itself, for the media. For 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 all of us who've been involved in this business for a long, 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 long time, um, and and known about this open secret and other open secrets just like this one, uh, and uh, who failed to do anything about it for you know nigh on to thirty years now. Yeah, uh, I think there's a reckoning coming for the whole system. Well, Harvey, Harvey's going to get a reckoning. Yes, absolutely. I love what you said that Jeff Bridges said about that. Yeah, situation. you know, Jeff Bridges had a great quote. I mean, that's, as soon as this breaks, uh, every celebrity in Hollywood who has any kind of event where they are inter- interfacing with the press is just thinking, oh, dear God, now what do I say? Yeah. Because you, you, you have to say something. You can't say nothing yeah. because saying nothing is saying something. And uh, th- that's the challenge is that this thing breaks and you're going to be on the red carpet tonight and you thought you'd be saying something completely innocuous and insipid about, oh, well, I love this movie and here's my next movie coming out and I love my wife and my kids and hey, I want to give a shout out to Uncle Joe. <laughs> and that's usually what it is. The yeah. red carpet is a, is a thing and you talk to each person for about you know five seconds. You've done them. I do them. I still do them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a Hollywood staple and it's routine. And then something like this happens and you're expected to have an opinion. Yeah, about something big, and about fifty percent of the time that stars get trapped on the red carpet and asked to have an opinion about something, if the publicist is not paying close enough attention to drag them away, mm. they wind up saying, putting their foot in their mouth and saying something stupid. So it's really tough. Um, you know, even Jeffrey Katzenberg, uh, and I'll circle back around, give you this long roundabout answer. But yeah. even, even Katzenberg, you know, he made public the email he responded 
because everyone saw that email that Harvey sent to all those executives begging them to help him keep his company. Mm. And Katzenberg has said publicly, I mean, this is Jeffrey Katzenberg, a guy with more media experience than, you know, the half the country. And uh, he said he was stumped. He didn't know even know how to reply. He just was, was shell-shocked by getting this email from Harvey. And, he, and he, he talked to some friends, and they said, you have to reply. And so Katzenberg composed a very thoughtful letter and sent it back to those same friends for feedback. This is a very smart executive. Mm. And they all said, send it. Exactly as is. And it was, it was, you know, basically saying, Harvey, you're a friend, but you've done horrible things to other people and you have to atone for it. But when you are ready and willing to, to um, redeem yourself, I will be there as a friend to, to help, help you understand what you need to do to make amends. Mm. It was incredibly grown up. I mean, it was, you know, it just, uh, and my respect for Katzenberg has always been very high. And, and he sent me a very nice letter once too, which he didn't have to do. Mm. And um, uh, then Jeff Bridges gets, you know, trapped on the, on the red carpet. And he says, uh, you know, he's facing his demons right now. And I hope he leans into them. And comes out a better person on the other side. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, you know that's sort of what I think everybody feels, and that's not forestalling justice. I wrote a piece on cinegods.com. We've launched the site. Yeah. Ray's Ray has been our beat reporter on Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> Ray has gone nuts on this thing. Created um, the timeline. Oh, he worked everything. so hard. It's the perfect timeline. I mean, it's all right there. If you want to see the timeline of the whole Harvey Weinstein thing from going back years right up to now, it's there. Ray has curated it on uh, on cinegods.com. And then um, uh, I wrote a I wrote an editorial that I just had to get out, which is is basically saying that you know this is a systemic thing. It's why this is the biggest scandal in Hollywood history because it's not just about Harvey. It's about the system, mm -hmm. and it's about how uh, how incredibly unprofessional this business can be. Mm. We, were, we were just having a conversation yeah. with somebody earlier mm -hmm. who was telling us stories, and you know you can't name names because you get sued. That's why that's what Corey Feldman has has had an issue with. It, 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 yeah, and. and 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 the, and the media accountability. I mean, it, it, when we look at that timeline and we see what what happened in terms of the story, and the, and, and and notably two women who break this story at the New York Times, notably. Yes. Uh, you know, Ronan Sparrow's story also very yeah. important. Uh, you know, very important. The New Yorker, now. the New, New Yorker, Yorker story. Uh, rejected by NBC. Yeah. Um, His uh, own employer. Yeah. Uh, and, and there, and there, which is my point. So you have uh, the New York Times and the New Yorker and NBC, and they're all making these extremely sort of disparate judgments about yeah. what to do with these things. Remarkably, there's very little over overlap between uh, Ronan's story and, that, and other, was, there's no overlap. At that's what was so amazing. And, and he did a very good job of rewriting that story at the last minute to incorporate mm -hmm. the New York Times piece because you know, there's no way they were sharing information. And uh, he waited until the New York Times piece hit and adjusted his accordingly, and incredibly, yeah, you're right, there's no overlap. You, yeah. you, you read the New York Times piece, and you thought, oh my gosh, this is just horrible. And then, and I went to a screening that morning uh, after the New Yorker piece hit, and I walk into the room, and there's you know a bunch of people, Alonzo, and mm. Alonzo Duralde, who of course writes for The Wrap, and is a Lafka colleague of ours, and, uh, and uh, Joe Morgenstern of the Wall Street Journal are sitting there in the, in the room, and the first thing I was like, anybody see The New Yorker? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like everyone just said the same thing. It's, are you, it's just so much worse and so much more horrifying than what we imagined. Yeah, and then got worse as the next three or yeah. four days went by. And, and then more people who aren't even named 
in those pieces are coming forward, and they're still coming forward. Heather I mean, Graham was still at, 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 literally at, at, at recording of this. Yeah, at our at our at our recording time, Heather Graham had just written an exclusive piece for Variety about uh, the time that that Harvey, you know, leverage tried to leverage her. Leah Seydoux, the yeah. French actress who had the most horrifying story. Um, and and you know we need to all we do need to remember this is Harvey whatever happens to Harvey Weinstein uh, it, it the the business has to change it's yeah. uh, you know I got the business itself uh, Hollywood yeah and, and the, the producers uh, the whole you know everything we talked about it earlier the you yeah. know, the, the idea of the uh, Harry Cohn yeah uh, you know who used to run who used to run Columbia. Uh, and from uh, the man you, who greenlit "It's a Wonderful Life" did yeah. not make life very wonderful for a lot of people. What's the phrase that that is commonly used at Harry? You'll, You'll never, never work. work in this town again because Harry Cohn. He made and he made yeah. it true a lot. Yeah, uh, for and, people who double crossed him. And 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 it, it what goes before that is if you do not sleep with me, you'll never work in this town exactly. again. Yeah. It's not like you know that's some people random, never say that part. But. Yeah. Yeah. You know, people, all, you know, they use it. I think there's somebody wrote a, move, a book called you, but yeah. they never say that part about what Harry, <laughs> about what Harry was saying must yeah. happen. Yes. And, uh, and, you know, that's 70, that's 70, that's 70 years ago now, if not more. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it became this idea in town that this, you know, the casting couch and this was a given and, and you and I talked about, it. I mean, it, we, in, in, a, in those of us who've been working in media for you know many, many years now, we're in, in a, in a tacit way, enablers. Of this, um, you, which I also say in my Cine Gods piece, yeah. which is you know Hollywood's Bastille moment. So I would I would urge everybody to go and read that because I yeah. put a lot of damn work in. And as a native of this town, whose father worked in this yeah. town, and, and, you know, it, it, it's good to come for you. Look, I've been here a long time, twenty seven years, and, and I have personal experience with this. I told you about you know, you know my yeah. wife and uh, an actress for many years, all, all that kind of stuff. I understand, and I never wrote a piece. I never wrote a piece about about the sexual harassment that was that, that was yeah, common. None of us did. Nobody you know, did. Uh, uh, you know, my wife used to tell me I can handle it. Don't worry about it. If I can't handle it, I'll let you know I can't handle it. It's just the way it is here. You know, uh, and and uh, and and I let it live in that spot. And Harvey was counting on uh, people like me letting it live in that spot, and, and 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 other journalists and everyone and producers just letting it live in that spot, and we did forever. And fortunately, uh, you know Ashley Judd and, and 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 Rose McGowan, who never did let it live. I, I want to call out Rose, who who started talking about this twenty years ago. Ninety-seven. She started talking about this and saying this out loud, and 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 and, and, and sent that tweet out that got Amazon's a uh, uh, price. Uh, 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 removed from his job because she finally she sent that tweet out to Jeff Bezos and called him out. Ultimately, Wade, I think that this comes around to men. We keep wanting women to do this and do that, and I'm very proud of all of these women who have done the I things that they've done. But you know what? This comes down to men, man. It it does, and and we need to underline too. Again, you know, Corey Feldman and and. Uh, Corey Haim, mm. who, who you know killed himself largely because of being raped at eleven, and you know even somebody like Terry Crews recently yeah. came out about this. I mean, this guy grabbed, guy got, guy got grabbed. It, guy. it it affects men as well. Uh, Elijah Wood has talked about it. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, it affects women disproportionately uh, more than anyone else, and that's that's where our focus should be. But we need to remember. It affects everybody, mm -hmm. and and even if you're a man who hasn't experienced this, you've you've got a mother, you know. Yeah. You probably ha you may have a wife, you may have a sister, you may have a daughter. 
Um, I mean, this is this ultimately comes down. This is a really uh, this is a societal sickness, and uh, I hope Hollywood really, really takes this moment. Everyone seems to be. Well, e- even now, as we speak, and we're talking about Harvey and Harvey's. Yeah, yeah we were. I, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have read uh, reports about things that Ben Affleck did. Yeah, that he ought not to have done. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, which is why I was also reporting. saying Warner Brothers has eight weeks. They yeah. got eight weeks. <laughs> you get you just go go shoot a scene of Wonder Woman kicking the snot out of Batman. <laughs> it doesn't have to make sense. It just needs to be in the movie. And, go uh, shoot yeah. that scene. Put it in there. That'll that'll take care of that problem right mm-hmm. away. Take that, Bruce. Uh, and 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 I, and I guess if I wanted to, I could go through a list of of, of, of people. For whom we are harboring these open secrets to, right? Yeah. They're, 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 I, you know, I won't do it right now. Yeah. But but we but we're gonna have to decide what we're gonna do about this. We are. I can think of at least five uh, very important, you know, f- filmmakers. Let's just call them filmmakers and people uh, for whom uh, there is an, our set of open secrets right now. Yeah. Uh, you, you, we've we've had conversations about them. We, I, so I'm I'm gonna wait and see how these shoes fall. Yeah. I'm gonna see if the mainstream media. Uh, is is going to decide? Look, we need to answer these questions. I'm going to see yeah. if some of these people will step. I'm wondering if some of these people might step up themselves, right? Yeah, because they know about the open secrets about them. Harvey laughed at the Academy Awards when yeah. Seth made that joke, and they about the because he thought it was untouchable. Yeah, you know, because he thought it was untouchable. You, you know, so so these people they know they 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 know too. So I'm wondering. Yeah. I, w- I would love to see somebody step up and say, you know what? I think I might have been doing some of the sexual yeah. harassing stuff, yeah. and I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and throw myself on my sword right now, uh, and and make a whole bunch of mea culpas and apologies, yeah. and then take my beat down. Because if 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 they were and they were to be sincere about it, right? Um, I think I think you know how Hollywood is. Mel Gibson is back; he's fine. We nominated him to Hacksaw Ridge for an Academy Award. <laughs> he's good. It's fine. You know, if 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 you haven't actually um, uh, committed a felony, right? You yeah. haven't. Ra- there are accusations as we as we sit now. Accusations that that Harvey may have raped at least four women. Four women are, are calling what yeah. he did to them rape. Yeah, right. And 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 you know it's important to underline too the the and again my Sinigans piece draws a parallel the Beagleman scandal back yeah. in the seventies eighties. You know they they wrote the book Indecent Exposure about that and uh, you can read all about it. But the thing about that that's interesting is is that Cliff Robertson was the one who basically he called it out. You mm-hmm. know he blew the whistle and he wound up being blacklisted as a result. Yeah. And that's uncool. That's that's where that got really, really crazy. And uh, Beagleman was gone, and Hirschfeld was gone, uh, who was the you know the CEO of uh, of, of Columbia. And but Cl- Cliff Robertson was blacklisted. He was the one that got punched now, in the face. That's kind of crazy. And uh, you know there was such a disagreement over the, with the Columbia board that that you know this is this ripped the company apart. A third of the board of the Weinstein Company resigned because they didn't approve of sanctioning Harvey. And that's a problem, yeah. you know. I mean, they needed to understand. No, there's no sticking up for Harvey at this point. They're Bob just, is w- was willing not to stick up yeah. for Harvey, his brother Bob Weinstein, which tells you a lot. Yeah, uh, uh, and it, but but that and it tells you what they were putting first. Yeah, you know. Look, well, the company's finished. That's I think that's I, they they've said we're going to change the name of the company and take Harvey's name off and so forth. But that's not it. The company is tarnished now because so many executives unquestionably knew they said they didn't but the settlements mm. 
are on the records of the company, mm -hmm. which means they knew. Harvey, if they didn't know, they're terrible executives. Harvey has a, a clause in his contract that did not allow him. They're, 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 they're thinking that perhaps he can sue them for firing him because he had a very specific clause in his contract that did not allow him to be fired for claims – and it says this, and you can find it on, on the internet, for claims of sexual harassment. Now, what we have here are more than claims of sexual yeah. harassment. We have proof of sexual harassment. So that's what the company is leaning on in order to, to enforce the fire. And I'm going to say, and we'll transition out of this, uh, I don't really, at this point, I'm not married to what happens to Harvey Weinstein. Justice yeah. will take its course. The NYPD, LAPD, London Police, FBI, they're doing what they are. There are civil suits that can follow. That'll take its course. I'm not invested in that. I'm 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 invested in when my four-year-old daughter is old enough to decide what she wants to do for a career. If she chooses to be an actress and goes out on auditions, I want to be able to feel as safe and secure about her going to a professional job meeting as I would if she were an attorney or an accountant or a banker or a stockbroker. And I don't feel that way right now. And for the business that is considered the the media center of the world, the which decides what everyone is going to think and hear and see and, and wear and smell, that's really an embarrassment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a particular it's a particular thing about this dream making. Yeah, look, dreams. It's it. You know, uh, uh, dreams it, turn into nightmares. Yeah. So there we are. Anyway, there we go. Well, uh, we got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about today. We've got an interview with uh, another great author of a Disney book, and we've uh, we've got a couple of giveaways. At least one. Hopefully, going to get to the other giveaway as well. Uh, I want to start off with just a few docs, and then we'll get into some new movies. Uh, there's a really great series here from Facets uh, that I, I just, I, it, you know, it, it's quite an investment if you want to get the whole thing, but it's really interesting. It's nine DVDs, nine separate DVDs by Laszlo Maholi Nagy. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing his name. He's Somebody's an exquisite photographer. He's one of, one, of, one of my favorite photographers. And uh, these were all made uh, basically in the 1920s, 30s, 40s. Um, Nagi taught at the Institute of Design in Chicago, and uh, th these were all these were all kind of made in and around his his work as a teacher and as a photographer. And it's really really interesting stuff. It's all very kind of avant garde art architecture, documentary filmmaking. Uh, Do not disturb. Uh, design workshops is really interesting. Uh, lobsters is just utterly bizarre and cool, and you know it's just. I mean, this stuff is it's a real trip. If you're an experimental filmmaker, if you're a fan of um, of uh, you know uh, Laurie Anderson's work, if you're a fan of um, oh. oh what's his name the, uh, the, the, the the who has the special criterion I'm drawing a blank now the great experimental photographer uh, experimental filmmaker oh uh, uh, I'm drawing I'm totally drawing a blank but anyway. Yeah. Uh, uh, so Architects Congress, the other ones, uh, Big City Gypsies, um, Berlin Still Life is really, really beautiful. Berlin Still Life is, is wonderful. That was made in 1931 in Germany before, obviously, uh, Hitler's rise to power and so forth. And it's really, uh, it's, it's quite a, an amazing snapshot in time. Just street life in Berlin. It's really, uh, it's, just, it's just beautiful and heartbreaking. Uh, a thing called A Light Play, black and white, uh, gr black, white, gray. 
Uh, and then the last two are impressions of the old Marseille Harbor, where I used to live in Marseille. It's just beautiful. This was made in 1929. It's just, it's just absolutely wonderful. And uh, the that's last all, one is that's all renovated now. Yeah, it's all all changed. You know, big old new mall and everything. Yeah. Uh, the new architecture and the London Zoo. And I've never been to the London Zoo, but I really, really want to now. It's just, it's just beautiful. That was made in 1936. So 20s, 30s, and 40s is when all this stuff was made. This is one of the legendary photographers of all time. Really, really cool avant-garde uh, documentary filmmaking. It's really, really great. I uh, So go get that. That's from Facets. And uh, you should go to facets.com and just uh, see what they've got. But the uh, filmmaker is Laszlo Maholi Nagy, and we will have the list uh, of all of this stuff at uh, digigods.com. Um, and uh, a few other docs here real quickly just to, to cut through this. I think we'll save the other half of the docs for later in the show because there's a lot of doc stuff here. There's a Smithsonian Channel series that I was unaware of before, which I think is actually pretty neat. Uh, it's called The Real Story. And these are making, basically making of documentaries, kind of. Uh, they, 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 they're not the making of the movies, per se, that they're about, but they're, they're sort of the, the backstory is a better way of saying it. This is like the, uh, you've seen the movie, here's the real story. And uh, the real story, uh, and these are the episodes, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Scream, Saving Private Ryan, Pirates of the Caribbean, Platoon. And uh, Close Encounters is the, is the coolest one by far, uh, not just because the movie is great, but the, uh, everything that goes on behind the history of UFO sightings and uh, everything that inspired the movie is really very, very interesting. Uh, Scream is less interesting. Saving Private, Ryan, Saving Private Ryan is really, really great. Is there, was there a real Private Ryan? And, uh, you know, if so, what happened? Really great. Pirates of the Caribbean goes into the whole history of the real Pirates of the Caribbean, the slave trade, uh, all that stuff. And it's very different from what you see in the movies and the Disney ride. Uh, and then Platoon obviously takes us back to, uh, uh, back to you know, the Vietnam era and uh, how closely the movie actually aligns, which is, you know, modestly well. And uh, that's that. And then uh, the last few uh, quick little docs here. There's a PBS doc called The Farthest Voyager in Space, 12 billion miles and counting. We keep forgetting that Voyager is still out there. Yep. Pumping away ever since 1977. And uh, this, is a, this is a nice little reminder of that amazing pioneering effort. Uh, a great PBS Blu-ray called Big Pacific, which is, uh, you know, really just amazing high-def photography, uh, photography of things that we used to never be able to see. They take cameras now to where they should never be able to go, and they get incredible sea life photography. It is uh, Jacques Cousteau must be just squirming in his in his grave or in his crypt at what uh, they can do now and the things that he wished he could have done then. Kind of an interesting uh, dance documentary here by a filmmaker named Tomer Heyman called Mr. Gaga. Uh, this is uh, centering around Ohad Naharan and the Batsheva Dance Company. And, uh, it, you know, it, it's, it's not, it doesn't really transcend uh, the uh, dance documentary, but it's, it, it is... In terms of its sort of aggressive choreography, it is interesting. If you like dance documentaries, that's from Icarus Films Home Video. Um, check it out. It's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's worth watching. It is uh, very polished, very nicely made. Not exactly my style of dancing, but, uh, you know, they don't really make a lot of documentaries about square dancing and line <laughs> dancing. Uh, and then lastly, here is a Blu-ray, America Promised Land from the History Channel. Uh, it's a little fluffy, 
but it's it is uh, it actually is very very touching at times and uh, gets into you know the the forces that shaped America and uh, our immigration and our culture and all that. It's a little little bit broad for what it tries to do. It's uh, it's three hours long and that still doesn't feel like it's even remotely long enough. But it's um, it is uh, it is a nice. It's otherwise a very nicely put together and a very polished thing. So uh, maybe a part two would be in order. What else we got, Tim? Ah, uh, you want to you want to knock off a few of these? Let's do uh, that. Let's do the new movies. These brand new movies. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and do the uh, girls' trip here. I got to <laughs> tell you, I really love this movie. I thought it was really, really neat. I expected this to be junk. And, uh, you know, like oh, it's another girl. It's like uh, what was the one with Tina Fey or the others? It's just, I mean, uh, we've got a bunch. Dude, of these. There was a whole bunch of them with, with, bunch with of bad know, moms. all the way back. Brides, I guess it start, bad, maybe starts maybe starts starts with brides. I guess maybe yeah, or, or, bridesmaids, uh, bridesmaids, bad moms, uh, bad moms. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. And this, but this is just really very clever and very funny. Yeah, and uh, surprisingly on point. You, you know, oddly, Malcolm D. Lee. Uh, Malcolm Spike Lee. Lee's knee, nephew, nephew, right? Yeah. Who, who? I'm, it's odd for me to say this right now. I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. Malcolm has had more hits. <laughs> He's had more hits. I mean, if we're just talking about hey, more important movies, no, Spike's got more important movies. Mal- but Malcolm's had more hits. Malcolm, in many ways, is. Sm- I, I don't want to say he's more talented than Spike. He's not. But he's more, and he's not smarter than Spike. But he's savvier he's than savvier Spike. He's savvier about the about. Well, what he is, Malcolm is is just making movies. That's it. He, literally making movies. Spike is making films. There you go. And 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 I know that that's tweet, but 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 it's it, it, it's at the bottom of it, Malcolm. And and thus, you know, girls, girls trip. This it's movie has made movie. more money than any movie Spike Lee has ever. This movie has made more money by itself than three combined Spike Lee films. Yeah. Um, so that's just a funny sort of thing to me, uh, which adds up to absolutely nothing. Uh, deleted scenes, commentary by the director, a lot of outtakes on this. It's just a lot of fun. Um, uh, and it's a neat little story, and it's sexy, and uh, you know you get the sisters have uh, get to see the sisters have some fun. Blu-ray, DVD. It's good stuff. This is the unrated, by the way. Oh, which yeah. Which is funny to me because that's got to be the filthiest movie among the <laughs> filthiest movies I've ever seen in a theater. So what they could possibly put in the unrated one, I have no idea. We also have a thing here called the uh, called Pilgrimage. With the very talented Tom Holland, who uh, I'm almost certain made this before he made Spider-Man, because he would never have he would never have done this uh, if he were all Spider-Man out already. This is just not what you do as a follow-up to Spider-Man. Um, but he's in it. He co- he co-stars with Richard Armitage and Don Bernthal, and uh, this is one of those really just sword. One of those medieval um, quasi epics that goes straight to video that I would love to be more forgiving about, and I have a really, really hard time doing so. Uh, they, they get all kinds of Irish and Welsh tax credits, and they go and borrow a few uniforms left over from, you know, Henry V, the Kent Branagh film from 30 years ago, and then they sock them in it, and they, they make a movie that looks like a big period epic that really they spent next to no money on. That's typically how these things happen. I know that. Because I have friends that made one. That yeah, way. yeah, yeah. Well, they got a bunch of bunch of money back from Wales, and they went and uh, you know wet the mud down, and and got some horses and swords and guys with beards, and there it was. They got a movie. Field in England. Who, what's that couple that made Field in England? Oh yeah, because uh, uh, they get away yeah. with it. They can yeah. get away with it. You know, yeah. it says, but you know, sometimes you so, can't. So anyway, uh, this thing is directed by Brendan Muldowney. Don't know who he is, uh, but anyway. 
This is basically a uh, with uh, Tom Holland plays a monk who is leaving his monastery and uh, a lot in the company of a former crusader played by John Bernthal, who's also very good, plays the Punisher on uh, on yeah. uh, the television Marvel stuff on Netflix. And it has his own series. And their job is to kind of do an inverse of Raiders of the Lost Ark. They have this relic that they need to get to Rome. And needless to say, along the way, it gets very hard and they get attacked and they get, you know, whatever. Fill in well, the it's a little like warriors, only, yeah. you know, well, everyone more thinks, Irish. Everyone thinks the, the relic is, you know, has powers and all this. So it's kind of a reverse Raiders of the Lost Ark thing in a way. It's not bad. It's not well done. It's very obvious, and you can sort of see all the the financial seams. But if you like these kinds of things, you'll you'll probably be fine with it. The, uh, it's called Pilgrimage, and I love the uh, the uh, uh, the uh, tagline: "The road to salvation is paved in blood." <laughs> Who comes up with that stuff? Um, I used to come up with those actually yeah, years that's ago. Right, I, you did. Yeah, yeah, wrote, wrote a bunch of those, for, uh, a few for Spike Lee, as a matter of fact. Um, Florence Pugh uh, is really excellent in this in this film called Lady Macbeth, right? And now it's not it's not the Shakespeare. It's about it's very very interesting. It's set in 1865. It's about this young woman who's married off, as was the case occasionally back then, to an older man. Um, uh, loveless marriage. Uh, certainly, uh, he is vicious and abusive to her, as is his family. She falls in love as is you know, going to happen in, in these sort mm -hmm. of films, with a young man who works for it. And you have one of these stories. What it's really about, though, is the way she connives to get everything she wants. Because she, she doesn't just want the younger man. She wants everything. Yeah. Uh, and, and, I, and I really, because what this film does is you empathize with her because of how brutally yeah. he and his family treat her before she starts cheating. And that's a very particular thing, because technically she's yeah. cheating and she's going to take this guy's estate. But you know what? You know what? I think, I, I think I'm thinking about Harvey Weinstein's situation right now. <laughs> I, mean, I, think, I, think, I think I got completely overwhelmed by it, but I, but I do like this movie quite a lot. It's very, very good. Um, there's a behind-the-scenes uh, uh, featurette in Photo Gallery on the DVD. Um, uh, and Florence Pugh is just very, very good. Sweet. Uh, we got a movie here called Fallen. It's only on DVD, not on Blu-ray. Probably deservedly so, because nobody's going to really want to see this on, on Blu-ray. There's a really interesting story behind the story. The story in the movie is not very interesting. The story behind the movie is. Um, this is a, uh, an Australian-Canadian co-production about a, about a girl who goes to a reform school, which looks like a gothic mansion out in the middle. It's like, it's like go to reform school in Downton Abbey, basically. Let's take Downton Abbey and turn it into a reform school. I don't know anyone who would have a reform school in a building <laughs> that should be a museum, and then among the activities that you have troubled kids, violent kids, kids with with tarnished backgrounds mm. doing in this reform school, hey, Tim, how about fencing? <laughs> Let's give them swords. Why not, why not put them out on the shooting range? Are you kidding me? Oh, um, it's a very strange movie that takes all of its cues inappropriately from the Twilight movies and from Harry Potter and from pretty much all of these, these youth-oriented uh, fantasy films. The, the idea here, however, is that these kids in this school, not all of them, but a substantial number of them, are immortal fallen angels from the war in heaven. And, uh, you know, there's a whole kind of uh, uh, reincarnation or endless resurrection thing. This girl keeps dying over and over and has many past lives, and they keep trying to find each other over all the, uh, the centuries. 
it's all very, very uh, airport novel. And uh, I, I just, I can't, I just can't deal with it. It just is not a very, very good film at all. Um, what makes it so sad and so unfortunate is that it's directed by Scott Hicks. Mm. And I'm a fan of Scott Hicks. He got Scott, off to a really good start. Man, did he get off to a good start. Scott Hicks, who, of course, directed the Oscar-nominated Shine, the Oscar-winning Shine for, for Jeffrey Rush, and went on to make uh, Snow Falling on Cedars, which I still think is an underrated film. I think Snow Falling on Cedars has wonderful stuff in it, but it got so beat up because it was so over budget and it didn't perform. And Ethan Ishiguro won a, I think he just won a, a Nobel finally, not for uh, yes he did, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, finally, he did. you know, yeah, 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 um, uh, uh, yeah, yeah interesting. Uh, yeah, but he got off to a really good start. Yes, he did. Yeah, yes, yeah, he did. So ago. anyway, Scott Hicks, I hope you find your way back. Um, another guy, guy that got off to a really good start is <laughs> Wesley Snipes, um, yeah. who really did get off to a great start, man. Um, so you know anyway. what? I, I'm, let me tell you something. John Koskinen, mm-hmm. his, his term as head of the IRS ends next month. Uh, it, Wesley it, Snipes, <laughs> let him be head of the IRS. Seriously. <laughs> that would be yeah. hilarious. After after those IRS problems, I don't know what yeah. Anyway, this is his movie, uh, Wesley Snipes, Armed Response. No Retreat, No Mercy. I actually saw this film for the show um, when it was in theaters for 45 seconds. Uh, Anne Hatius in this movie, um, uh, you know, a whole bunch of, uh, of, of sort of like, uh, you know, tactical armory guys. Including Anne Haitian, Wesley Snipes have to uh, take over this compound. Uh, this compound uh, is a place where they take um, um, uh, bad guys from all over the world, uh, terrorists and uh, narco drug dealers, uh, Russian mob guys, and they interrogate them, inter- use, interrogate them using this uh, AI. Yeah, this is extremely powerful AI. They can dig into their minds and find all kinds of secrets. Ooh. Anyway, the AI uh, 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 goes amok. Uh, and takes over the building. Uh, and this I hate arm, it when that happens. It, it don't, isn't it just a bummer? And then, this is this movie is stupid. So forget about all of that. Um, <laughs> what, what is interesting though is that the guy who directed this movie is a guy named John Stockwell. And again, this is another guy who started pretty good. He was an yep. actor. You, you know John. He was an actor for 25 years. Yeah. He's in early Tom, So Fine, yeah. uh, all kind of early Tom Cruise movies. If you saw his face, you'd know him as a young actor in the 80s. And then he became a director. And when he first got started, he directed a movie called Crazy Beautiful with a young Jay. That's right. Yeah, he wouldn't curse him. A yeah. lovely little movie. He directed Blue Crush. He directed Into the Blue. Teresa, you know, middle, middle of some, some good movies, some, some decent movies, yeah. and you know, move forward, uh, you know, ten, fifteen years, and we get into you know, Cat Run Two and Countdown and Kickbox, Boxer Vengeance and and Armed Response, which, despite the fact that it stars Wesley, Wesley used to be just this guy. He was a wonderful actor. People forget that because he's been doing this chop sake, uh, you know, uh, uh, SWAT team kind of stuff for twenty years now. Uh, but there was a time when Wesley Snipes was a wonderful actor. He made a he made a movie with uh, Mike Figgis, One Night Stand. Yeah, Natasha Kinski. Yeah, that's right. Beautiful movie. You know, made uh, he's in Maya Angelou's only directorial effort, I think, uh, Down in the Delta. Wesley Snipes Snipes is wonderful in that. He's movie. great. 
Uh, and then, you know, he makes a bunch of these. Anyway, whatever. This Water Dance. Like, Water Dance. I forgot about the video. Yeah, it's we, fantastic we, we, guys with, 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 with Eric, Eric Stoltz. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Oh, man. I don't know. Very strange thing. We should have do a show about that someday. We just, should. Just these, you know, what, yeah, what happens? Wesley, Wesley Snipes is a guy who is going to show up one of these days when he gets to that Richard Gere place. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't care anymore, and he's got his money, and he can't be a leading man anymore. Can't get his and, leg over his head. <laughs> but you know what? He's gonna he's gonna dirty himself up and he's gonna start playing interesting characters again. It's yeah. gonna be interesting. It always happens, doesn't it? So I'm gonna hit some uh, some kid vid here real quickly. We've got uh, something here we're gonna give away. We're gonna give away one copy of Drawn Together, the complete collection from Comedy Central. Send us an email to gods at digigods.com. Again, gods at digigods.com. If we get the email uh, date stamped by the 20th, by October 20th. With your name in the uh, your name and address in the body of the email and drawn d r a w n in the uh, in the subject line, you will be uh, we'll choose one winner at random, and you're gonna get a copy of Drawn Together, the complete collection from Comedy Central. Again, email to gods at digigods.com. Drawn in the subject line and uh, your name and address in the body. We will pick someone lucky. Let you know by the uh, 22nd, and uh, we'll have uh, Paramount send it out to you. This is a uh, Comedy Central show that is actually very, very funny. It's kind of a... Uh, it, this almost should be an Adult Swim thing, to be honest. Uh, did you ever see this drawn together? Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's hysterical. It's, it's very sexy. Uh, yeah, they, overtly. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a mock reality animated uh, animated reality show. they're where all the, living in a house. They're living in a house yeah. with the cameras and all these different uh, animated characters who should who are in completely disparate cartoons who all represent actual... Like, you know what everyone represents. They're not the actual cartoon characters, but you know what they're riffing on. Yeah. And it's quite fun, and it's, uh, it's very... Uh, Irreverent and, uh, and and terribly funny. Uh, I think it's really really sharp. So this ran from um, 2004 up to 2010 uh, intermittently, like 2004 2007, and then there was an extra season in 2010. Anyway, I had never seen this before. I think it's very funny. 36 episodes and a movie. Uh, definitely check it out. Drawn together, the complete collection. It's good, and we're giving one away. Gods at Digigods.com. Put drawn in the subject line. Uh, other uh, that isn't exactly kid vid, but it's sort of in the uh, <laughs> yeah, no, in the don't animated show realm. that to your children. No, uh, we've got uh, the insufferably saccharine Shopkins World Vacation. I can't really recommend this. This is uh, this is not exemplary for young girls, especially when you have a character named uh, Cookie Cookie. That's not working for me. Uh, it's not working for my daughter. We're going to stick with Disney princesses. Uh, but uh, you know the it, it, it. I guess there's probably some there's probably a Shopkins equivalent of bronies, <laughs> which would probably be where I'd recommend this. We also have a thing called Happy Birthday, which is a bunch of uh, PBS shows that have birthday episodes, which uh, you know Arthur and Caillou and Odd Squad and Super Y and Walt Kratz. It's just uh, this is for a kid's birthday party. You can pick that up. That's from PBS Kids. Happy Birthday. Um, also, not necessarily for kids is a Blu-ray of the fifth season of Samurai Jack, which uh, we're we're also going to be covering the complete collection when they eventually get that to us. But this is the ten episodes from the fifth season, which is out now, and uh, Samurai Jack continues to be a really surprising series, very aggressively Samurai animated. Samurai Jack, <laughs> I love it. It's so aggressively animated, and Gindy. And what's weird is when he did it. When he did that live action film, those uh, vampire cartoons, not live action, uh, uh, big feature uh, yeah. animated, yeah, film, with Adam Sandler, uh, you know, yeah. Dragon, whatever. It's exact. It's completely the opposite. It, it sort of visually looks the same, sort of big flat, uh, uh, but nothing but talking. Nothing no. but talking in it. 
in Samurai Jack, sometimes sometimes Samurai Jack would walk around for two minutes and nobody would say anything. It's great. That's just fantastic. It's really cool. It's uh, it's and 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 the style is. It's less anime than it is kind of that that sixties um, some uh, you know, yeah. de, de Pati style yeah. with yeah. the with the the you know like uh, Inspector Clouseau and those things. It's sort of a little bit closer to that, but it's a little more aggressive and modern at times. It's hard to peg the style, but, but it's, it's all cool. very flat and, and and primary color. I just love it in black, of course. Yeah, and uh, if you have a child who is young and that you're trying to potty train, having gone through this, I know we have to talk about this. I, we have to talk about this because some of you are going through this. Uh, the uh, anthological PBS Kids It's Potty Time is also helpful. This is a <laughs> bunch of shows, two of them from Daniel Tiger, one from Peg and Cat, and the other one from Dinosaur Train, that will help you explain the uh, scatological process to your child and why they should uh, learn to do it on the potty. I'm, I'm sorry to be so explicit. This is a family show, and that's why. No. Uh, wild Kratts, Wild Winter Creatures. I still don't really get the Wild Kratts thing, but, uh, you know, it's. I guess it's got a following. Uh, four episodes here, very adventuresome. Polar Bears Don't Dance. Uh, Mystery of the Weird-Looking Walrus. Well, whatever. I. It's... Knock yourselves out. <laughs> we, we love Peppa Pig. We got 12 episodes of Peppa on uh, Princess Peppa. The show continues to be awesome. I wish they'd release every episode once and for all, but I'll take the little tidbits as they slowly let them drip out. Uh, Princess Peppa is the anchor episode on here. The Tooth Fairy is a great one. Tooth Fairy is so freaking funny. It's unbelievable. Uh, you also have The Queen, The Blackberry Bush, which is also legendary, and uh, Treasure Hunt. So uh, that's a new collection of 12 Peppa Pig episodes. We also have uh, Justice League Action, Superpowers Unite. Don't particularly like the animation in this, but uh, you know the, the show itself in terms of the content and the writing is fine. I kind of skimmed this a little bit. There's some some fun villain stuff in here. Uh, I, I like you know the way that some of the heroes that don't show up in the live action movies do show up in here. Plastic Man is always a, a fun one. Uh, so you know for DC addicts that aren't getting all their juice from the live action films. Uh, check out Justice League Action, Superpowers Unite, 26 episodes on two discs. Uh, coming down to the bottom of the pile here is the complete ninth season of SpongeBob SquarePants on Nickelodeon. Uh, this continues to be exactly the same as everything else. Uh, it, pretty much every episode just sort of goes through the same motions. I guess it's funny. Some kids love this stuff. A lot of kids that are my, my daughter's age, I don't really get it. But, you know, um, go for it. It's all very spongy. We also have a Nexo Knights, the, another one of these Lego animated things, uh, Storm Over Nighton, K-N-I-G-H-T-O-N. Uh, I'm really over the, the, the thing, the, the Ninjago yeah, movie. Just yeah, really, I had that to crashed that and for burned. this show, too. The, yeah, yeah. Really. yeah same, thing, same thing, same thing. Just hyperkinetic, uh, too loud. Much. Uh, no. Ten episodes, only for people who love it. Uh, also from PBS Kids, Dinosaur Train, Dinosaurs Take Flight. This is uh, eight episodes that are fine. Uh, you know, they kind of do the same thing over and over, but this is a well-animated, well-produced, cute show from the, uh, the Henson people. 
Henson's kids are, you know, keeping this going, and uh, they, they do a good job. It's educational. You learn about dinosaurs. And when we were in Texas recently, mm. we went to Ross Perot's Natural History Museum. I didn't tell you about that, did I? No. I, did, so, I didn't know it existed. Yeah, I didn't either. So, well, we were, we were in Texas for a moment uh, visiting my, uh, my wife's sister, who, who lives in Texas, uh, with her family, and uh, it was hot and humid, disgusting, which I know you know yeah, from St. Louis. St. Louis. I'm yeah, not going to complain. Taking, taking a shower all the time. Ugh. But uh, we went to, I went to the uh, George Bush Presidential Library, which was interesting. Uh, small, smaller than I thought, but I got a picture of myself taken in the Oval Office, so why the hell not? <laughs> uh, and then we went to uh, this really interesting dinosaur. It's like a nature preserve where they have animatronic dinosaurs on one of the trails. <laughs> and they roar at you, and you get to take pictures with them. It's kind of <laughs> cool, actually. I love uh, I w- what I would do for them, I wish they would let me hide the speaker of the dinosaur roar under some dirt and some leaves, hide the, uh, the, the cabling, and then put the speaker in one of those fake rocks <laughs> so that it doesn't look like there's a boombox sitting right behind the dinosaur. Because that's a little, that kind of takes away from the experience a bit. But, uh, uh-huh. no, and then, we, and then we went to Ross Perot's place, which has, you know, it's like giant dinosaur bones and pterodactyls and all kinds of fun stuff and games that you play on, f- teach you physics and... May I, may I ask a question about yeah. Ross? yeah. Is he dead? No. Oh, I, see, I, 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 dude, if you had bet me a hundred dollars, I'd have said he was dead. But isn't that funny? With like, he was the man. He was the original third, you know, third, third party guy. Yeah, you know, I mean, he's the reason why H, you know, HW didn't get that second term. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, he, yeah, that's 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 no doubt about that. You know. And uh, and and then he just kind of disappeared off the face of the mm-hmm. earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no one even talks about him. Hey, I would have bet money he was dead. I'm glad he's still going. Way to go, H. Ross. H. Ross right? And then uh, the last one here is uh, Kuku Harajuku, Super Kawaii. Uh, it's not anime, but it thinks it is. And uh, Kuku Harajuku is actually co-created by Gwen Stefani. And so, and that's why all these girls with the long skinny legs and the big eyes, they all kind of look a little bit like Gwen Stefani in a way. Uh, you know, this is basically a story of a pop band. And it's, it's all very uh, Hello Kitty feeling. And it's kind of somewhere between Gwen Stefani and, and kind of a Hello Kitty anime Japanese kitsch. Um, it's surprisingly tolerable for me yeah. as a as a middle-aged male uh <laughs> to deal with this but i can't imagine my daughter caring much about this uh but it's cute i it's think right. I, I think that ki- the, the character is cute the yeah. character is yeah, cute. the animation the, 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 the actual physical character the whole, the the whole girly thing the whole pop band thing is cute I, you know, I enjoy that stuff i'm gonna knock a couple uh more recent uh, uh movies releases here including baby driver which edgar wright's film which i think people have forgotten about this film this is a really good movie that people liked early in the year. Yeah, it kind of uh, had its moment during the summer. Yeah, and uh, and people sort of forgot about it as things start to stink up around the place. It's been a, it's been a crap. These are mostly crappy year for movies, by the way. Um, uh, not great. It's going to be an interesting. It's going to be interesting as we go into award season. Yes, it will. Because it unless they come out in the next few months, there's not going to be a whole. I mean, I know Dunkirk and a few of these. Yeah. But a lot. Of, but Baby Driver was one of them that I, that, that's that's looking a whole lot better as the year goes on. Anyway, uh, this digital HD with ultraviolet has all kinds of crap on it, including two hours, over two hours of all kinds of special features. Uh, there, the movie uh, it's kind of neat though. I liked uh, the idea. This is really the first 
film that I've seen, uh, El Gordon, Ansel El Gordon, that I actually liked him in. Yeah. I've been poking him a lot for the last couple of years because, generally speaking, he's been the worst thing in every movie he's been in. He does. And he has He has manners. He's very mannered, and I'm surprised that... You can his, see him acting all over the place. I'm surprised that his directors don't say, that thing that you're doing with your lips, stop doing that. Yeah. You do that in every single movie. That's a That's a tell... And it's it's a, it's a crutch, and just don't do that. Yeah, you 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 you. So anyway, he's better in this than yeah, he, he is, is in anything else. Yeah. But mostly, this is driven by the music. See that pun I did there? Driven by the music. <laughs> As he's driving along, this this young getaway driver listens to a soundtrack, and there's a fantastic score. Kevin Spacey is pretty good in it, doing that Kevin Spacey thing. Right. Um, Jamie Fox actually pretty good in it. Uh, Jamie Fox to me, um, he's becoming a much better second lead. Yeah. Where he can play quirky and do these, then he, then, I mean, he, he's a lead. He's still a leading man. I get he's, that. J- Jamie Foxx is a really interesting actor because he's he's a guy who can play a lead. He has lead talent. He has a lead physique. He has lead presence, mm-hmm. which is partly what you have to have. You have to have a certain physicality to be a leading man. But at the same time, he has character actor skills. Mm-hmm. Right, and and that doesn't always, you know, you, you sometimes get caught in the lurch. Like, are you gonna are you gonna let go of your lead career? And you and Shelley Winters was in that place once upon a time. Yeah, and Shelley Winters basically decided she didn't want to be her pal Marilyn Monroe. She didn't want to be a lead actress, and she let it go. Yeah, yeah. She, she saw that, what happened to her. She started eating those potatoes and had herself a career for the was next it. forty years. That was it. And you know, which ain't the craziest thing in the world. No, it's you not. Know. Uh, the House, uh, dude, Will Ferrell, Amy Poehler. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, this is really, really a terrible movie. And and I just don't know how this but, stuff but, gets made. But I love Will, love Amy, 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 Amy. Who is in addition to being very, very funny, I don't know if a lot of people agree with that. I think Amy Poehler is kind of sexy. Of course, she's got like a you know. I'm, a, a I'm thing there. Of, but this movie is just not working all. Over the place. About a couple of uh, about two parents who create an illicit uh, gambling casino, gambling casino, casino in their, in their house, basement. Yeah. It's 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 just nonsense. Yeah, Jeremy Jeremy Renner shows. Anyway, this uh, special features on the DVD loaded with all kinds of crap uh, on here. Deleted scenes, extended alternate scenes. There's a gag reel. There's all, you know all kinds of games to play. Uh, it would probably be more interesting to play all the games and watch the special features on this than it would be to actually watch the movie. Anyway, the house. Spider-Man Homecoming, which is the first 100% Spider-Man movie uh, since Disney and Columbia agreed to share the character, which means that basically Disney makes these movies and Columbia puts their name on it. Um, So here's the drill. Um, Tom Holland again. Play, he's our new Spider-Man. We know that from the last Captain America movie where they introduced him and made him part of the Tom Avengers. Hall, who's in Pilgrimage. We yeah, talked Pilgrimage. about a little while ago. Yeah. And, and he's a good Spider-Man. I don't know that he's better than Tobey Maguire was. He's not. Uh, let me say he's not. Go on. I think he's better than Garfield was. Of course, yeah. Um, but he's fine. And and this is kind of a minor Spider-Man movie. And, and I find this interesting because... The, I still don't think there's anything any beating the original, the first two Raimi films. Right. I think Spider-Man one and two, and the of the three particularly Raimi that films, first one, I, it's still my favorite great. film. They're great. They're absolutely terrific, and the effects are better in the second one, but the story's better in the first one, and those are those are terrific. A lot of heart in that first one. A Him lot and Kirsten of heart. Dunst, I mean, just just so bad. This movie here, the most interesting thing about that movie, and this to, to, to my, I, mean, I like this movie. It's, it's fine. fine. It's fine. It's 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 middling. But the, 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 who I was wa- paying attention to in this movie is the 65-year-old Michael yeah. Keaton. Yeah. The villain is way more interesting than the Spider-Boy. Well, true. And, 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 and frankly, the second most interesting person in the movie was Aunt May. 
Now, uh, Marissa Tomei. You realize, and I was making this point too, we have gone from uh, Aunt May in the Raimi films, who's yeah. played by um, oh, let me uh, look Ma- Harris, uh, 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 Rosemary Harris. Oh, Rosemary Harris, yes. Rosemary Harris, who is, you know, she's Aunt May, like in her 70s. And then we went to Sally Field. Knocked about we t- knocked 15 that, years off. <laughs> and now we are at Marissa Tomei. I am Marissa Tomei, su- who is 52. I am such a fan of Marissa Tomei, because now Aunt May is my age. Me and Aunt May would be just fine together. I'd be so fine. Spider-Man, may I be your uncle? Like, you know, but I'm watching these <laughs> scenes, and I'm like, kid, get out of here. <laughs> she was like, go, go save something. I mean, I need to talk that, to May. That, that really cracks me up. It was funny. Uh, I mean, and I she like has the funniest scene in the movie. She does. You know, the last moment in the movie is her moment, and, yeah. it, and it is the funniest moment in the movie. And, of course, Robert Downey Jr. is in here doing his uh, Iron man stark thing again so i you know this is on 4k and uh we're it's starting to be a regular thing now for uh so superhero movies to come out on 4k it looks terrific really first rate uh the uh, the, the cgi effects much better than what we've had in the past for any of the <laughs> spider-man movies we've really really perfected it now it's head and shoulders above there are uh, there's an hour's worth of extras deleted scenes all that stuff is perfectly fine but really uh, ultimately, the HDR is just sizzling. Spider-Man's blue and red has never been bluer or redder, and uh, it really, really benefits the effects. It's a, it's a, it's really a. This is a tremendous showcase for the 4K format. If you are an early adopter, and uh, this is one you should definitely have in your library for sure. Although I don't know who Bill Zwecker is at the Chicago Sun Times who said best Spider-Man ever. <gasps> I don't know uh, who you are, dude. Bill Jerong. Yeah. Roger Ebert is turning the, the Chicago sometimes, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, Sharknado 5. We're up to 5. Yep. I, and funny thing, I was just uh, communicating with my... We're going to get an interview with David Latt one of these days. Okay. Um, David yeah. Latt, who yeah. is uh, one of the principals and the founders of the asylum that makes these movies. And uh, David is a very old friend of mine. Um, I, you, you've been to his parties oh, yeah. with me. Yeah, yeah. David's a great guy. He and, uh, and David Ramawi, uh, who, was a, uh, who worked with my wife at one point, they formed the asylum years ago. And I remember when they did it. And I remember David's first, you know, January 1 party. When we went there, and they'd formed a company, and you know, he was like, "All right, they good for this you." Neat little movie, always, you know, they're B mock, movies they're that were mockbusters, mock, mock, yeah, mockbusters of, of, one, of one thing or another. But so, man, they, they've knocked it out of the park with these boys. Well, I, I was communicating. I'm going to give him a call soon, and we're going to uh, we're going to sit him down for an interview and uh, to talk all about the asylum and their movies. But anyway, yes, Sharknado, we are up to five. Uh, five uh, uh, global swarming. I wonder what they can possibly do next. Uh, North America is in ruins. Uh, the rest of the world uh, braces for the inevitable uh, global shark NATO attack, and you still got your boy Ian uh, uh, hanging around in these movies from down to one terror region. You wonder where, every, where all, all the people who um, you used to have crushes on in like the early yeah. early '90s, and some of them actually were A-list movie stars. Terry was an A-list movie star for a second there. Uh, uh, they're in these movies. This is where they've gone. This has all kinds of great stuff on it. Uh, the making of anatomy of a Sharknado ending, uh, all kinds of cameos uh, uh, from the film, deleted alternate scenes, filmmakers' commentaries, and, uh, and, and special effects layout layout of these uh, special effects. Uh, so you know, if you so you know, the the movies are fun. But frankly, if you're the kind of per- person who's into uh, horror filmmaking, thriller filmmaking, and you want to know how these things are done. Get this and pay attention to it. I'm not going to pretend like this is my cup of tea. It's not, but I, but I, I, I do find these phenomenons fascinating. 
Yep. I, they are really interesting. You I know. know. When, when one of these things sort of hit, people have parties to watch these goofy movies. And, mm-hmm. you know, and you talk all the way through the movies, and you do shots, and you have a good time. That'll be an interesting thing to talk with, um, with uh, David about. Yes, it will. Shark Dangle 5. So I've got five movies here, and I want to talk about all these in, in one fell shot. And I want, to, I want to make mention of one other thing first, and that is uh, there's another little bit of news this week, which we probably would have made at the top of the show, but it, Harvey just dominates everything. And uh, that news is Movies Everywhere. Uh, I posted there, – there's a thing also on the Synagogue's page. This is a big deal because it, the, the rumor – hit about 48 hours before the confirmation of the rumor, which is a pretty great secret to keep, uh, considering that the the confirmation of the, that the rumor itself was released basically in a press release. Mm-hmm. So um, what has happened is this. All the companies that were part of Ultraviolet, I'm going to trace the timeline a little bit, all the companies that were part of Ultraviolet, which is, uh, you, you had Warner Brothers and Fox and Universal and uh, Paramount and Lionsgate, and uh, who else was in there? Sony. Okay. All of them, except for Paramount and Lionsgate, have thrown in the towel. On, cried, the, for, on, on the format. On the format. They've thrown in the towel, cried uncle, and they are migrating over to Disney's Disney Movies Anywhere platform, which is now being rebranded Movies Anywhere. If you were on Disney Movies Anywhere, you've got to create a new account. Even if you're a Disney person only, you've got to create a new account. And the, it's still uncertain. I have emailed these people, and I have not heard back um, because I think it's a little bit uncertain as to how you're migrating your ultraviolet stuff, if you are ultra, uh, migrating. But the bottom line is this is what's going to happen, and eventually Paramount and Lionsgate will sign on as well, make no mistake, and other companies will sign on too now that there's a single format. It's like Blu-ray, right, when it defeated HD DVD. So now for your digital locker platform, there's going to be only one, Movies Anywhere, and it's gonna it, all the major studios and Lionsgate are gonna be signed on eventually. One, you know, Paramount and Lionsgate are the only holdouts. And it will be you will be able to use Voodoo, Google Play, Amazon, iTunes, or their own proprietary app as mm. your player. Ultraviolet never had enough proprietary app. You go to the Ultraviolet site is where you sign in, but then you had to go to Voodoo or Flickster. In order to watch, watch the movie, the, yeah. but then sometimes you had to go to proprietary studio sites to enter the code. Like a Fox film, you had to go to the Fox site. The Universal, you had to go to the Universal site. Total hassle. Then Fox went to with with like these 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 co- with the barcodes. Real hassle. It never really worked right. And now you go to one site, you enter the code, and you watch your movie there. Unless you like to buy your movies at Google or you buy your movies at iTunes. If you buy other movies at one of these sites, you can then you can you know watch it there as well. Mm. It's it's everywhere. You just log that thing in, and it'll appear on Amazon, appear on iTunes, appear. It'll, it'll just always be there in all these different places. It's a great, great, great move. Mm. So we're very excited about that. Absolutely. Now, the other thing that happened recently, the Las Vegas uh, shooter. Now we're not going to make any kind of we're not going to have any discussion about guns in America and violence in America. But I want to point something out: movies and guns. People, people ask, why is violence in America so ubiquitous? Why are guns so ubiquitous? Guns are so ubiquitous because I have five movies, five Blu-rays coming out this week in my hands that all have pictures of people with guns on the cover. <laughs> uh, and you know what? I don't begrudge them that. But you have to understand, we are inundated with guns all mm. day long every day in our movies. You, we, we, you, you absolutely, I'm going to let you go on with it. And, I'm, and then I'm going to talk about a, a, a film from a very long time ago 
called Trespass. You uh-huh. remember, you remember sure. in the in the in in the big yep. controversy about a gun on that poster. Yep. Uh, but anyway, you go on. So, uh, very very white-haired Tom Berenger stars with Billy Zane and uh, Chad Michael Collins in Sniper Ultimate Kill. This time weapons change the game. Okay, this is uh, you know, this is just a this is another like, you know, military guys fighting drug cartels movie. Uh, not very good, but look, we got Tom Berenger with the, you know, and guy with a pistol and Billy Zane with a big rifle, a turn on the back, and there he is with an even bigger gun. Look oh, at that yeah. damn thing. The right, the guns change. Guns the all over the place. Then we also have It Stains the Sands Red. It Stains the Sands Red is a silly, silly zombie movie uh, that starts off with a great big CGI scene of a post-apocalyptic uh, anti-zombie war scene on the Las Vegas Strip. And then quickly becomes a movie about a woman who is running from a zombie in the desert that cost about 18 cents. And uh, <laughs> there are maybe three or four other actors in this thing at various times. But for the most part, it's just a woman being chased by a zombie. And occasionally she'll get up on a little little rock outcropping and frustrate the zombie and hand him a sandwich. And it just becomes really dumb. But you know what? For some dumb reason, even though this movie has almost no guns in it, we put a guy with a gun on the on cover. On the cover, yeah. Okay. No guns in the movie. The guy with a gun on the cover. We also have Justice with uh, Stephen Lang and uh, Nathan Parsons. This is a Western. It's just a, a kind of a lame Western, to be honest. It's, you know, it's after the Civil War, and it's just a, another one of those kind of, you know. It's one of those moments where Stephen Lang gets to play a leading man. Yeah, that's all it is. He gets to be at the front because you know he's in he's, he's in like the next five avatars, so he never it's needs a, to work again. It's so a when he's gonna movie. when is he gonna get a chance to star in a film? They that's say it. we'll let you star, and they put him in a movie. It's a revenge movie, but look, there are guys with guns. It's a western. Yeah, I'll give you a pass, guys with guns. And then we've got Shot Caller with uh, Benjamin Bratt, John Bernthal again, uh, Lake Bell, bunch of people. Uh, shot caller, but it's a cop thing again. Look, guys with guns all over the cover of this thing. Uh, you know, it's it, there's a whole uh, kind of a you know it's a it's a again a prison and uh, drug cartel kind of thing. Just it's like a standard you know how do you fight your way out of the uh, out of the hole in prison kind of a movie, and uh, it's just loaded with guns. And then lastly, Bushwick, which is a very silly movie starring Dave Bautista and uh, Brittany Snow. Dave Batista, of course, who is uh, from Guardians of the Galaxy, also oh, yeah. in, the, in the new Blade Runner. Yeah, uh, this is pre- this is a a one uh, like it's like rope, right? The whole thing is is shot like as if it's one continuous shot, which it's not. Which it's not, but it, it's meant to look like it. It takes place in Brooklyn on the premise that uh, Texas has had enough and Texas is going to secede from the Union, and the way they're going to do it is by invading Brooklyn. Don't ask why. Don't that. Don't even try to make sense of that. Doesn't make any sense. Texas has launched a paramilitary invasion of Brooklyn, and you have a really, really dumb action movie that transpires with this woman whose uh, boyfriend was just killed, and she teams up with a former military guy played by Dave Batista, and they've got to make it through the battle zone of Brooklyn that's now in complete chaos. It's called Bushwick. Silly movie. Blu-ray DVD combo set. But again, there's Dave Batista with a gun. Brittany Snow with yeah. a gun. Yeah. Turn around, Dave Batista and Brittany Snow with guns. So, the point being, you know, Guns are ubiquitous on our movie covers. Yeah. Every walk into any Best Buy or whatever. This is five movies I pulled out of the stack. They all are just riddled with guns in the cover. So when things like Las Vegas happen, 
understand guns are ubiquitous it, in American it, pop it, culture. It, it is a part of the the, the language dynamic, and, and it's funny. It's it's a movie thing because it's not a it's not a record thing. You don't see no. you don't see guns on the cover of, no. of record hour CD albums like they no. would be now. Uh, anyway, I'll skip the thing about trespass. Not important. I have two movies here that don't have guns on the cover. <laughs> uh, one of them, and here's the thing. I, I like both of these silly movies, and they're both silly, yep. right? But I, but I like them both. I've seen both of these movies, yep. and they actually both kind of work for me. They couldn't be more different, right? First one, Where's the Money? Andrew Batchelor and a few other people, including Mike Epps and Terry Crews, in this movie. This, this is what this movie's about. This movie's about a brother. There's a whole bunch of money. Money, <laughs> money, 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 money uh, goes missing. He figures out where the money is. In order to get to the money, he has to rush this all-white fraternity at a sort of like USCE oh, for kind crying of out loud. It is just the dumbest thing in the world. And uh, it's, it's, it's hysterically funny. There are no guns. <laughs> Nobody gets shot. There's a little, you know, the sort of stupid pranksterism that goes on. And yes, you have that sort of funny racial dynamic that's there, but it's not particularly pointed. And, 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 and it's all kind of ridiculously empathetic. And, you know, you get Terry Crews and you get Mike Epps and you got yourself one dumb, funny movie that I kind of liked a lot. I'm sorry, I did. <laughs> I, I liked it. Heritage Falls, same thing, a completely different movie, right? So this movie is about this guy, uh, 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 David Keith, who I always get mixed up with Keith David. Keith David is the black <laughs> one. David Keith is the white one. David Keith was in An Officer and a Gentleman. Keith David was in uh, 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 They Live, yes. the great fight scene with Rowdy right. Roddy Piper. Sure. Um, so anyway, this is the other guy, uh, David Keith, uh, and a few other people you've never heard of. And they're in this movie, and he's playing this basketball course, uh, coach, Georgia basketball coach, right? The most winning basketball uh, uh, coach in uh, high school Georgia history. Right? He's got this son who's a bookworm, a nerd. He's married. He's never connected with his son. This movie is just about this guy trying to figure out a way to connect with his son. Hmm. And he does. And it's just the damn sweetest thing you ever did see. <laughs> and I liked it a lot. And there's a grandson and, and all yeah. this kind of stuff. And, 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 and there are no guns on it. It's just these guys standing there looking all family. And, and people will look at that and they'll see the name. It's called Heritage Falls. And they'll just sort of walk past it. And you know what? You will have missed two good movies if you ignore those, those two little dumb movies that barely exist at all in the world of cinema. And Harvey Weinstein had nothing to do with either one of them. And now we're going to uh, dovetail into an interview with Mindy Johnson, who is the author of Ink and Paint, The Women of Walt Disney's Animation. This is an incredible coffee table book, uh, and, and I'll, you'll, you'll hear all, a lot more about it. But really, the, the influence and presence of women in the animation history of Disney is, uh, is a, an almost impossibly kept secret. I mean, so what do we hear about the, what is it, the seven old men? Yeah, the seven old men. Well, look, there are a lot more women. And uh, so here, we're going to talk to Minnie Johnson about it right now. Minnie Johnson of Ink and Paint. It is our enormous privilege to be speaking with Mindy Johnson, who is the author of Ink and Paint, The Women of Walt Disney's Animation, which is one of the most amazing coffee table books I have seen in a long time. Uh, this is not just a, a great history and a great coffee table book, but it's, it's really a work of art in and of itself. And Mindy, this is an amazing history and such an enormous job of research. What was the genesis of this book, and what were the hurdles that you faced in researching it? Mm, well, thank you, Wade. It's a, a great joy and delight to be here with you. Um, as far as the genesis of this book, uh, for me personally, I had explored briefly the roles of ink and paint but in a previous book, but 
like everyone else, I sort of fell under the notion that this was just simply then it was, you know, the artwork was moved into this department and the women traced the paintings and or traced the drawings and then painted them and it moved on to camera. You've got maybe a sentence of a log line of what these women accomplished, but um, when it came down to it and the beginnings of the research for this volume, I was several months into it and, and had to call my editor quickly and say, you know, this is a very different book. It's a much bigger story than, <laughs> than we imagined, um, which was a great delight, uh, but also presented a number of challenges with uh, not only trying to understand all of the different departments and what was accomplished within Ink and Paint, but to explore the roles of where women moved throughout the entire animation process. And it, it quickly evolved into a nearly 100-year, a century-long look at women's roles through industry, through uh, entertainment, Hollywood history, animation history, um, pop culture history. It's it's pretty sweeping and, and, and really couldn't be anything less than that because uh, it's an area that has never really been examined before in this context. So um, if someone had told me when I began this was what it would turn out to be, I would have laughed. <laughs> but here we are. It's, it is an extraordinary book, and Disney, obviously, I mean, I know this from speaking to other authors, my friend Charles Solomon, uh, who's done a mm. number of books for Disney, that Disney supports you to the, to the nth degree, and that their resources are fully at your disposal, but I also know that that's, uh, that's a, a little bit of a, you know, careful what you wish for kind of a thing, because suddenly you find yourself swamped by everything imaginable, and how do you filter it all out? Um, I, you know, we've we've spoken to the authors of a number of of uh, Disney books recently, and uh, it's it's a little bit of the same in every case, which is that you know you uh, there, it's one thing when you're digging to try to find enough archival information to support your your work, but when it's all at your disposal, how do you distill it all into into a story? Um, talk, where, where did where did these? I mean, because there are individual stories here, and some of these amazing women. Uh, Helen uh, Nurbavig uh, mm -hmm. is just such a fascinating story, too. I mean, I, you know, there just there are just so many of these individual women. How did you sort of zero in on the individual stories? Well, um, to actually go back, and you you brought up a wonderful point about generally having a lot of great material to go through, but. In this instance, interestingly enough, it was the opposite. Um, uh, when I first approached the studio about this volume, um, they certainly opened up their resources as much as they could, but we soon quickly discovered that history, in many ways, is recorded, preserved, written about, and archived from a male perspective. And when I went in seeking material about the women and about the department, um, where there were volumes and boxes and, and ledgers and other material in specific films and, and many of the men, there was virtually nothing. I was essentially handed a folder with five pieces of paper saying, this is what we have for the ink and paint department. Because even then people thought it was nothing more than pretty girls who traced and colored, yet Nothing could be further from the truth. Um, it was one of the most extensive departments. So thus began a, a pretty extraordinary odyssey of 
literally tracking down uh, family members and finding many of the women who are still with us, thankfully, though their numbers are dwindling, um, and finding uh, grandchildren and nieces and nephews and as many people as we could. I conducted, I think, over 120, 130 roughly interviews for this volume. So it quickly became apparent this needed to be told in as many firsthand accounts as possible. And um, it was about a five-year journey of trying to literally digging through closets and under beds, finding material and cells and artwork and family members literally, you know, bringing boxes of, of material forth saying, please tell our mother's story, tell our grandmother's story. No one has done this. It was pretty powerful. And, and and what I particularly love is that the individual stories also serve to give you not just a history of women in animation, but a history of animation through the women. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, Barbara Worth Baldwin, I was reading just before I called you, um, the, the whole idea of, of the use of airbrushing, the team she assembled of men and women. And, and we don't often look at those films like Pinocchio and a lot of the older ones and really understand what role airbrushing had in giving us the look and the feel that made those films so effective. So, I mean, I learned a great deal about animation, mm. just generally, not just the women, but the, but the process itself as they practiced it. It's, a, it's just a wonderful balancing act that you do here. Thank you. Um, it was a little daunting, um, and it took some twists and turns just to, to sort of get this finally uh, um, laid out into this context. And again, I have to circle back to my editor who... Uh, was just brilliant to let me sort of explore and you know find my way with this um, and it it really does become the other half of the animation story uh, it was very apparent early on that uh, when you start to connect the dots and examine these key women and the the progression of the work that they accomplished through color and artistry and um, applying that to storytelling, it's we've only known half the story by examining what the men accomplished with pencils. It really is another layer to the artistry and um, refinement and evolution of animation, not only within Disney, but throughout other studios. I, I, as I was researching, many of these women did move to different studios. So it, it was very important to include as you progress through the chronology of the volume to acknowledge where women had moved and and uh, progressed and what the experience was like at other studios as well um, so for me it was fascinating to to kind of link together this bird's eye view of of as i said over a hundred years of um, animation and film history that had never really been explored before. It's and it's, it, it's such it's such an achievement. And you know, as the father of a daughter who who just cannot get enough of her her Disney films, it's mm. nice that I can now show her this and that I can explain tell her that you know so much of what makes these movies special to her are that there were women animating them as well. It's not just the princesses on in the movies, but it's the oh, no. it's it's the it's the the women behind the scenes as well. Um June Absolutely. June I, we have to mention June Foray who uh, was yeah. not just a great voice talent, but she also 
wrote uh, before her passing, she wrote an introduction to this book for you, which is, is mm. I just, I think, just, uh, it's so poetic that she was able to do that. Um, talk a little bit about June and her contributions and, and your interface with her. Oh, my goodness. June literally was an institution, and, and there's a very sweet line uh, that Chuck Jones is quoted saying, you know, we're very familiar with the extraordinary voice talents of Mel Blanc, but as Chuck Jones stated of June, he said, um, June Perre was not the female Mel Blanc. Mel Blanc was the male June Perre. That, I think, speaks volumes to her talent and her extraordinary efforts, not only behind the microphone, but behind the scenes in terms of animation. She uh, was a force uh, in getting ASIPA established, uh, the great organization behind much of where we are today with animation. She also uh, worked tirelessly with the Motion Picture Academy to establish uh, a great, tremendous growth with, and presence for animation within the film industry, but also to establish the best picture, best animated feature film category. Um, we owe so much to her and her career spanned decades. I mean, generations have grown up with her voice as a constant in so such a, in, within so many animated uh, forums. And yet very few people realize you know, this tiny, amazing, extraordinary woman is so responsible for where we are today with animation. So it was a, a tremendous honor when, when I was circling back to figure out who would logically be the best um, presence for the forward. You know, June's name was right there at the top. And knowing her age and her health was uh, challenging, um, we reached out, and absolutely, she and her family were delighted. And once they saw the range and volume and impact of this volume, they said, most definitely, this is important. So uh, with her recent passing, I'm I'm just deeply honored and humbled to have her voice um, literally and figuratively as part of this volume. It, it, it could not be more perfect. Uh, it, it really mm. couldn't. You know, I, I just I look at every single sidebar here, and there's 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 not one that isn't that wouldn't be a great movie or a short film mm. in and of itself. They all have such interesting lives, and their contributions are all so valuable. Um, you know, uh, Retta Scott, uh, such an interesting person. You know, the the last line of your little uh, uh, sidebar here, where she says, "I estimated that during that year, I had drawn over fifty six thousand dogs for Bambi." You know, you, yeah. I mean, that's, that's an amazing artistic output and an amazing labor by any measure. And these, <laughs> these women were at a, I mean, working here in animation at a time when um, increasingly women were starting to sort of uh, get fewer and fewer positions in the industry. After World War II, I think the, all over the United States, that was the, that was the movement, the women out of the workplace and men in. And yet these women continued to sort of hold on to these positions. Um, to, would, would, is it fair to say that Disney animation simply would not have been what it is? It wouldn't be what we know it as if not for the contributions of these women? Yes, it is definitely even uh, totally accurate to state this. Um, in about the mid-1930s, Walt Disney begins 
to bring women in specifically for the purposes of expanding the art artistry and range of what can be accomplished with animation. Um, certainly the animators were training in the human form and being able to visually convey interesting movement, but it, it, Walt recognized he needed the sensibilities of women and their artistry to, you know, for audiences to be able to sit for an hour and a half and uh, through an animated feature film, you have to remember Prior to Snow White, this was essentially unheard of outside of Lottie Reinecker's great work in The Adventures of Prince Ahmed, which was a um, shadow puppetry feature-length film. But Walt recognized in his medium of hand-drawn animation, there were new boundaries of artistry that were possible, and it, it had to push, it had to expand, there had to be pathos, there had to be emotion um, in order for audiences to be able to endure an hour and a half, because many people laughed at Disney's folly saying, no one will be able to sit through anything longer than two reels. You know, it'll hurt people's eyes. But Walt was convinced, and he knew the impact of color on story, um, going back to Flowers and Trees and the Old Mill, um, the early silly symphonies as the women advanced the artistry through their color contributions um, you have women such as Mary Weiser in the mid-1930s as the studio was advancing their efforts in animation. She recognized that the paints that they were utilizing, which were commercially purchased, were not working. They would streak. They wouldn't adhere to the cells. They wouldn't dry. Uh, too problematic for what they were trying to achieve. So she took it upon herself through her and Hazel Sewell, who oversaw the department at the time, uh, Mary went out and developed and created their own paint, specifically designed for animation and for cell application. Uh, wow. No other studio had done this. And within the first year of her work, she saved the company $6,000 in white paint alone. The palettes for each of these films changed. And when you, when you track from Flowers and Trees, utilizing about 80 commercially available colors to within the advent of about five years span to production on Snow White. Suddenly they're moving within the range of 1,200 colors. Wow. All produced and manufactured at the studio by women. Uh, women were everywhere in the late 30s, as early as the late 30s, in editing, storytelling, research, uh, chemistry, special effects, airbrush teams, um, post-production. It, it's a remarkable story and far wider, far more reaching in areas than anyone ever imagined. Yeah. Um, so it, it, when we look at what is accomplished, and not only in, going back to the t late 20s even, and early 20s when Disney started, but Going back to the late teens, and you have women, uh, the earliest that we know of is Helena Smith-Dayton, one of the earliest female animators in stop-motion animation as early as 1916. Wow. So new discoveries being made even continually, but then women really were at the forefront through the xerography advancements in the mid-50s, yeah. as well as moving into the digital age. Uh, you have so many extraordinary women at the forefront 
of uh, integrating computers into animation. And again, that's all here within the book. So. I, you know, and I will be at Disneyland in a couple of days, actually, with my daughter. And I was, I was so taken also by the story of Charlotte Clark, who made the first uh, Mickey Mouse doll. And uh, <laughs> yes. I will, I will not be at Disneyland looking at those giant vats of dolls ever again the same way. I will, I will see her contribution there. I, and, and just to close, you know, I think there's some wonderful quotes in here from Disney about the contributions of women. There's a pull quote on, on uh, page 79. Uh, I feel the female is the influential human. They influence the world. And that leads right into uh, Walt talking about, you know, where he says women are the best judges of anything we turn out. And uh, I, I just I, I find that to be true in my own life. My wife and my daughter have far better taste than I ever will in just about everything. So I, 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 think, um, I think this book is a wonderful, wonderful contribution, and I think it revises and, uh, and informs us in, our, in the history of animation in some wonderful ways. And I, I thank you, and on behalf of our listeners, I thank you and, uh, enormously. The book is Ink and Paint, The Women of Walt Disney's Animation. Uh, we've been speaking with the author Mindy Johnson. The book has a foreword by the late June Foray, and it is just absolutely wonderful. Mindy, thank you so much. Thank you. Wait a complete joy. And that was Minnie Johnson. And Tim, yes, you're, you're right. Nine old men. Nine old men. I That's wonder which right. two I killed. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Sorry about that, guys. All right. Thank you, everyone. That's it for this week's show. We'll be back next week for the Halloween show, a full week before Halloween, but can't do a Halloween show on Halloween. So uh, we, will, uh, we will do our spooky show next week. And uh, for now, we are uh, Tim Carson and Wade Major.